Lord, you are here, present among us, and we are here. Touch our hearts and minds and draw us deeper into you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. All right, I got to tell you, I looked at the readings for this week and I was like, ugh. This is a tough gospel. This is a really tough gospel. It's confrontational. This is not Jesus meek and mild and let the little children come to me. This is right in your face. And then I realized that is why it's so important. Luke is telling us this story because it has enormous importance in our lives. So, we enter the story today, and we find that Jesus has set his face on Jerusalem. In chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, it begins Jesus' trek to Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen to him. He knows what is awaiting for him there. He knows his time is now short with the disciples. And Luke is very clear to tell us he set his face toward his destination, toward his crucifixion, toward Jerusalem. So, Jesus plans... And he did travel through a part of Samaria. Actually, that was the quickest way for the journey to begin. He had sent a couple of messengers ahead saying, you know, my good disciples and I will be coming and we would love to have some time with you, hospitality, dinner, maybe a place to sleep. And the Samaritans rejected Jesus. They did not prepare. The time of the day would have been very much, well, you have to take care of the stranger in your midst. But the Samaritans rejected Jesus. They did nothing to prepare for him. And so Jesus moves through that portion of Samaria. His face is still set to Jerusalem. And two of the disciples, and you have to wonder, Say, well, Jesus, would you like me to just call down fire on them and burn them up? And I'm like, seriously, have you ever heard Jesus call fire on anybody? I mean, they have to have, remember last week, Elijah called down fire? They have to be caught up in something um, of a moment to even suggest that thing. And um, I, I, I just, every time I read that, I think, what were they thinking? So on the road, Jesus encounters three different people. And the first one comes up and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, really? I don't know where I'm going to lay my head tonight. I don't know what I'm going to eat. I don't know where I'm going to go. You know, foxes have holes, birds. To lion, birds have nests. I don't have any of those things. Really? Are you willing to give up the comfort of your life, your bed, your family, your food, and follow me? And it doesn't, 
seem that he did. So the second counter encounter is directed by Jesus. And he says to a man, come follow me. And the man says, um, okay, that'd be great. But let me go back and bury my father. Let me go back and do. And that would have been something that an, an old eldest son would have been doing. But Jesus has said to him, come follow me and find the kingdom. And he says to the man, let the dead bury the dead. Because I've come to give life. I want to invite you into that life. But we don't see any indication that the man followed. So the third encounter is also initiated by Jesus. And he says to somebody, follow me. And that man says, well, you know, I'd like to do that. But I really want to go home at first and say goodbye to my friends and relatives. Maybe they'll send me a going away supper. You know, we can, you know. And Jesus says, no. Follow me now. I'm offering you life. And no one puts their hand to the plow and looks back. Now, probably few of us have ever plowed a field by hand. And so what Jesus is saying for the farmers of that day, when they plowed their fields, they had to look straight ahead the whole time. That was the only way the line would be straight for them to put the seeds into. If they ever once looked back or to the side, the plow would move directions, and they would no longer have a straight line. So Jesus is saying... No, if you really want to know life, follow me. We're going to have to follow the straight line. Following Jesus means no looking back. It's the life of the future. Now, being a disciple is challenging. It requires focus. It requires us to give us, it requires us to take on a new identity. And it requires us to realize that every day we're on a journey. We're on a pilgrimage. We're on a journey to seek the holy. To seek the holy in one another. To seek Jesus in each other. To grow in grace. And it's not an easy journey. Jesus made it clear that it requires dedication, consistency, vulnerability, and commitment. Now, Michael Marsh, who is the priest of the church in Uvalde when I, that I told you about and was in seminary with me, I read something that he wrote um, not too long ago, and it's this. Michael, Michael wrote, quote, It's easy and simple to follow Jesus in principle. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Welcome the stranger. Visit the sick and imprisoned. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Give the thirsty something to drink. Turn the other cheek. Forgive not just seven times, but 70 times. These are the values that Jesus holds. 
That's where Jesus is going. That's the direction in which he has set his face. That's the road to Jerusalem. And it all sounds good. Most of us probably agree with those values. It's the road that we have chosen to travel in principle. But in reality, reality does have a way of just kind of slapping you in the face. Have you ever encountered somebody who made you fearful and you turned away from them? They might have been totally innocent. Or you run into that friend who has been telling tales about you behind your back. How do you handle that one? Or those people in your life that are just plain annoying. Now, maybe you don't have any of those people in your life, but I have a few in mine. So how do we do that in reality? In principle, as Michael says, it sounds really good, but the reality calls us to a different way of living. So, I have to tell you that often you don't even have to encounter someone to be led astray. Have you often, or you probably haven't, but I have literally sat down to do my prayer time and thought, I really need to start that load of laundry. Now, probably none of you have ever done that. But, you know, it's so easy to get up and be distracted and do something else first. That laundry wasn't really more important than Jesus. But, you know, it didn't need to be done. Or have you been praying or in your quiet time and the Holy Spirit kind of nudges you and says, You really should call someone, and you know you should, or write a note, and you say, yeah, I'll get to it sometime later. And maybe you do, and maybe you don't. It's hard to be committed all the time. It's hard to be the disciple. It's hard to be what Jesus calls us to be. I don't remember if, I don't know if you remember the bumper sticker that said, I haven't seen it for a long time. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? (laughs) Do you remember that? So as Michael said, In principle, it's easy. In reality, it's much more difficult. So we're going to move to Galatians for today. And Paul tells us something that sounds very strange. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Okay. When you think of freedom... Most of us think of, 
the freedom of living in America. I mean, next week we'll be thinking flags, we'll be thinking songs, you know, Fourth of July, fireworks. We think freedom gives us the right to do what we want to do when we want to do it. That is not what Paul is saying. It's rather an awkward phrase in itself. For, for freedom, you are set up, you are, for freedom Christ has set us free. So what does Paul mean? Paul's definition would be more a freedom to live differently. Paul actually says in Philippians that he was zealous for the law. He knew the law. He understood the law. He upheld the law. And all of a sudden, that wasn't what was important in his life. What was important was Jesus and how he'd been changed. So when Paul writes this, he's writing to the church, and he has a bunch of people in this church that are either Jewish converts and probably quite a number of Gentile converts. And there was, in the early church, this pressure put on by the Jewish people who had accepted Jesus to make all the Gentiles conform to the law, to the Torah. And Paul says, that's not what this is about. You are set free from laws to the Torah like food, dietary laws. You are set free from having to be circumcised. You're not set free from the good parts of the law, like love your parents, love your neighbor as yourself, and all of that. But you're set free from the restrictions of the law. You no longer have to follow those. Jesus has not asked you to do that. He wanted the Jewish, uh, the converts to what would be called Christianity to understand that they were called to live differently. So what Paul really wanted the Galatians and us to understand is that freedom in Christ pulls together two issues. One is salvation and one is ethics. Freedom in Christ, and Jesus has set us free in his death. He has set us free from our sinful natures. He has established himself as the prime center of our life. We are free from Sin. Not that we don't sin, but we're no longer condemned because he has set us free and he forgives us. So we're set free from worries about our salvation. We know where we're going. And he, and he was telling them, so you know where you're going. But ethically, the ethics part of this freedom for Paul was learning how to live to serve one another. One another within the, in the, in the community of faith and one another outside. So Paul says we are free to be able to be Christ to one another. In fact, it goes so far to say at one point in time, we are free to become slaves. To one another, to become servants to one another, to just serve each other in love. So we are free, but we have responsibilities. And the Spirit guides us in that. Paul says the Spirit is what comes 
and tells you in my old thing to send that note, to call that person, to do something. The Spirit guides us, spreading love, praying for each other, ministering to another's needs. We saw in the gospel that Jesus' eyes were set toward Jerusalem. He was going to where he was called to be. And that's what he's saying to us. Those of us who are committed to him are to set our face the same way. We are who he called us to be in the world at this place in this time to one another and to those outside the church. So today in 2020, I think, you may not agree, that's okay, I think we need to have the same kind of urgency that Jesus had when he set his face toward Jerusalem. The world is a mess. You don't have to, I mean, sorry folks, but it is. You do not have to look very far to see pain and fear and cruelty and condemnation. It's everywhere. Everywhere. It's in the papers. It's in the community. It is simply everywhere. We're moving further and further as a nation away from a nation of faith, away from being called to follow Jesus. The world definitely needs to encounter Jesus. Will Willimon is a bishop in the Methodist Church, and he writes, quote, True freedom is not something we possess, but it is a gift of God. It is the grace of God that only he can give. So God's gift of freedom and grace becomes for us more profound as we understand it as a commitment to serve, a freedom to serve, to be who God is calling us to be. It's kind of like a holy paradox. You're free from something. You're free to be something, to be the people of God. A freedom to empower us in each day, and we're going to make mistakes, but to empower us to become more Christ-like every day. May it be so for us. Amen.